What I'm going to talk to you this morning, it's going to be on the screen in a second, is we're doing these 20 questions. And the question that I've got is, why is the resurrection so important? Which might seem like a bit of a stupid question. Um, but I've been reflecting on this all week, and uh, just doing a bit of work, having a look at what the evidence is for. Now, just to set your hearts at ease, before I did this work on the resurrection, I did believe that Jesus rose again. So it's not like I didn't believe it, but I'm even more convinced, after the time that I've spent in the last couple of weeks looking at this question, about the only actual feasible option of what happened 2,000 years ago was that Christ was raised from the dead. All of the other arguments, all of the other ideas just don't work. Um, and I'll explain why, so don't just take my word for it right now, but afterwards I hope you'll agree with me. And I was just utterly convinced and thought, well, what, what else is there to believe really? So this is my warning to you. If you're sat here this morning and you currently don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then hopefully by the end of our time this morning you will do. Um, and actually, if you believe that, then you might as well be a Christian, really. I'm going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians 15. So if you've got a Bible, uh, that would be handy. And this is the long... I'm not going to read the whole thing, because that would take up most of the time that we've got to speak. But there's just some verses here, and I'm going to speak on some of them uh, throughout our time this morning as well. Um, but this is the longest passage in the whole of the Bible on the resurrection. Um, it's Paul talking to a church that's in chaos and trying to get their priorities straight and he says this is of first importance that Jesus died and that he rose again and it's interesting in that same chapter he then goes on to this huge discourse about the resurrection so it's a fundamental it's incredibly important and I'm just going to pick up part of it uh, from verse 20 I'm just going to read but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as by a man came death by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But in each his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until that he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let me just pray for us. And then uh, we'll have a look at a little more detail of this question, why is the resurrection so important? Father, we just thank you. We thank you uh, for all that you've done for us. We thank you that you are a great God. And uh, your greatness is shown in your death and your resurrection, that death can't even hold the Lord Jesus. And we just pray this morning that you'd speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We invite you to come. We want to encounter you this morning, God, in our worship, but also through your word, uh, by your spirit. So we just pray you'd speak. And you speak life to us as well this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've got a bit of a trivia question to start you off. I'm going to name these three people. I don't know how you say this. I'm going to say Mahmoud, but I think you've got to put a bit of, you know, Mahmoud, probably. So Mahmoud the first, uh, Sargon the second, and Philip the first. What do they all have in common other than they've all got numbers after their names? Does anybody know who they are? Has anybody heard of them? These guys are like, in history, titans. One of them, uh, Mahmud, uh, he was the leader of the Ottoman Empire for some time, Sargon, the Assyrian Empire, and Philip, the Roman Empire. But these empires that are massive have been and gone. These three men, who were titans, have died, they're dead, they're buried, and based on the fact that nobody knew anything about them, they've been forgotten. But they were huge back in their day, 
Everyone would have known who Sargon was. Everybody would have known Philip. But they're dead. They've been forgotten. And there's a, a famous line, I don't know who it is that says it, but it's, if you cut the head off a snake, the body dies. And you see it in movies all the time. You take out the leader, the movement dies. That's true, isn't it? Quite often you, you take the kingpin out and everybody, oh, they're looking to their leader, but their leader's gone, so what are they going to do? They're thrown into chaos and they just fall apart. So what of Christianity? What of Jesus Christ, which hopefully all of you have heard of him? He obviously doesn't join the list of just famous dead guys. Because if he did, he'd be forgotten. Think of it like this. According to the biblical accounts that you read as you read uh, what happened to Jesus with his death upon a cross, he was crucified alongside two men. There was one man on his left and one man on his right. And they both were killed in exactly the same way. They were both put up on a cross by the Romans and they were both uh, crucified. Does anybody here know their names? Does anybody know their stories? Does anybody worship them or would follow them today? No. But on the same day in history, by the same method, at the same time, by the same people, they were killed alongside Jesus. But we've heard of Jesus and we don't know about these two men. Why? It's all because he rose from the dead. That's the reason. It's not because he was a great guy. It's not because he healed some people. It's because he rose from the dead. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. This is the reality of our faith. If Jesus is dead, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, there is no saviour, there is no forgiveness of sin, there is no new life, there is no eternal life, there is no hope for our futures. He's just a good dead man. He's just in the grave somewhere. If that's all Jesus is reduced to, he's absolutely no help for me and absolutely no help for you. And I, alongside billions of other Christians, are the most gullible clowns in the world. Because we're trusting in a dead man to save us. Paul, in the longest section, as I've said, says this in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. He then says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all, of all the people, most to be pitied. If Jesus is dead, it's bad news for everybody, not just Christians, except we look like massive mugs. Then the rest of the world's got it right, because Jesus was just a wannabe. What I'm doing right now, a waste of time. You being here this morning, a waste of time. Faith, church, hope. We're still in our sin, Paul says, if Jesus is still dead. Without the resurrection, he's just a fallen hero, isn't he? If he doesn't rise, he doesn't pay the price... It doesn't right our wrongs. Sin is not defeated. The devil is not defeated. And we cannot hope for a future. And Paul says, we of all the people, if we believe that Christ hasn't risen from the dead, are of all people on the planet to be pitied. You know, sometimes people happens to me occasionally. I'm like, oh, bless. You're a Christian. They pity us. But you know what? I pity them, actually, if Christ has raised from the dead. If Christ hasn't raised from the dead, then they're right. Bless. 
giving his whole life for some dead guy. What a waste of time. But if Christ has raised from the dead, it changes everything. You see, if you don't believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, you're not a Christian. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they were uh, um, talking about their vicar, and uh, he'd been having a conversation with their local vicar. And their vicar had said, oh yeah, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. It, it wasn't a physical thing, it was just a spiritual thing. He's like, well, you're not a Christian, mate. It's a fundamental belief. You have to believe that Christ has risen from the dead in order to be saved. So a lot hinges on it, really. And I want to kind of briefly, now this could take weeks and weeks and weeks to do, but it will cost a fortune in hiring the building, and we want to eat and do some other things together. So I'm going to kind of look at, as briefly as I can, kind of quick-fire stuff on not only the kind of biblical evidence, if you like, but the other stuff that's there. So it might be new for some of you. Some of you go, oh, I've heard all this before. But it's still good to be reminded, actually, of the kind of evidence for the resurrection. Think, well, Jesus definitely died and Jesus definitely rose again because we read it in Scripture. And that's what we'll always say as Christians. But what else is there? What, what's the bigger story, if you like? So there's a few things that I'm just going to go through. And the first is this. If you were going to invent a story to build a movement, raising a dead guy wouldn't be it. Okay? I want you to think about this. Maybe today we might think, oh, resurrection, that's a cool thing. But that's because we've heard of resurrection. The pagans, the people that were around in Jesus' day, resurrection wasn't a done thing. It wasn't something that they saw every day. It wasn't something that anyone actually believed in. There were no stories of someone being raised from the dead permanently. Okay, the Jews believed in an end-time resurrection, which is what we read uh, briefly there in 1 Corinthians at the start. But they didn't believe in their in-the-middle-of-history resurrection. They didn't believe that someone could die today and be raised up to life eternally. That's what to be resurrected means, actually. To die like Lazarus, he wasn't resurrected from the dead, he was revived from the dead. There's a bit of a difference because Lazarus would get old and he would get grey and he would die again. The resurrection means Jesus never dies again. He lives forever. So there's a bit of a difference for us in our thinking. So resurrection wasn't something that was going around. Because people will argue that Christianity, they just stole the idea from somebody else. But all the kind of Greek myths, all the legends, people like Adonis or Adonis or however you say it, are written hundreds of years later after Christ and his resurrection. The first actual story of someone being resurrected and it being written down in all of history is Jesus. There was nothing before in the culture, there was nothing before in the time that would suggest that this was some sort of story that you could just make up. So if you were going to invent a story, you wouldn't just pick something completely out of the blue like this, that's so far-fetched that nobody's ever heard of. It would just be ludicrous, because nobody would go for it. So it's not just some invented story. You see, there's the historical evidence as well, and not just from the Bible, but the Bible itself, you know, within the Old Testament, there's ancient prophecies that predict that this is going to take place. And I mean, this is a huge one, I think. Jesus predicts himself it's going to happen. Have you thought about that? It's one thing Jesus saying, I'm going to die and I'm going to be raised again from death. But isn't it another thing altogether actually doing it? You know, this morning I said, guys, tomorrow I'm going to die. But it's okay, because on Thursday I'll rise from the dead. That's quite an effort, isn't it? I could arrange for myself to die tomorrow, no problem. I could do that. That's okay, I'm just jumping from or something. But I probably can't bring myself back to life on Thursday. So to say you're going to do it and do it, actually that's evidence in itself. 
But if you read uh, the Bible, uh, the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, if you read them actually, there's the Synoptic Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark and Luke, and they kind of have a lot of the same material. And then John has kind of a different slant on things and, and picks up on things that others don't. But all four Gospels talk about the resurrection. There's not much that is in all four Gospels. Jesus' birth isn't, for example. But his death and his resurrection is. It's in all four accounts. We looked at Acts when we started the church together in September. The whole of Acts is based on the result that Jesus was risen from the dead and what their new life looks like. All the epistles, 1 Corinthians, there's a huge passage that's written on the resurrection from the dead. Revelation is all written on the basis that Jesus has risen on high and he's going to come back again. If he's dead, he's got nothing to come back for. The whole of the Bible story, in one sense, is written with this resurrection thing running through it. And it's more than that. Uh, Greek historians, Jewish historians, Roman historians, if you would like, who would want to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, in the years that follow his death and his resurrection, write things like, uh, yeah, Jesus rose from the dead. It's fact, people like Josephus, who don't deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a whole lot of evidence there as well. Now, I want you to think about this. This is the kind of, I think Carmen said this a few weeks ago, so I won't go too overboard on it. But you will meet people that will argue that Jesus didn't raise from the dead, and they will give popular, there's a couple of, three or four arguments to say, well, something else must have happened. Okay, everyone agrees near enough that Jesus lived. Most people agree that he died, but the dispute comes on the fact, was he raised for life, or did something else happen? So one of the arguments is that Jesus just swooned, which means he didn't actually die. He just appeared to. And actually, that's what the Quran teaches. So I think anything that the Quran teaches, we can have question marks over it, can't we? It's not wholly reliable, really, is it? So, and actually as Christians, we've got to believe that. Actually, it's not of God at all. And actually, there's a whole, millions and millions of people that are being deceived, actually, in following after something that is, I think, the most oppressive religion on our planet by some way actually it's just dehumanizing i'll say that everyone from all the muslims will probably watch this video fantastic that'd be great but it's dehumanizing whereas christianity actually does the complete opposite it brings people alive so in the quran they teach that jesus just you know fainted he didn't really die but i want you to think about this crown of thorns is placed on his head he's whipped and beaten He's placed upon a cross and nails are driven into his hands, driven into his feet. If that wasn't enough, he's then placed into, after he's been on the cross, he's placed into a, a tomb for 36 hours with no medical attention, no care, no doctors. I mean, there's doctors here, isn't it? He's dead, isn't he? The doctor nodded. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> I wasn't scripted. But he's dead. We couldn't survive that. And actually, further that, though he's taken all these hits, though he's been beaten, though he's been on a cross, though he's been laid in a tomb for 36 hours, he's then somehow got to have the strength and the sneakiness to roll a huge rock out of the way of his tomb without the guards noticing. It's impossible. He can't have just fainted. You know, crucifixion, it wasn't just the fact that nails are rammed into parts of your body. It's death by asphyxiation. That's how you die. Your body just gives up. 
Basically, you become too tired hanging upon the cross for your lungs to fill with air. You cannot take a breath. That's what happens. And if that wasn't enough, this is what John 19 says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So if he isn't already dead, spear to the side, that's going to do it, isn't it? I don't know that many people that kind of survive being speared. I think it's beyond doubt that Jesus was most definitely dead. So that argument is just completely uh, ruled out, really. Because in order to be resurrected, you've actually got to be dead in the first place. So he can't have just fainted anyway. Others say the body could have been nicked. Everybody affirmed that the tomb was empty, so they had to come, come up with some sort of excuse. It can't have been that Jesus walked out. It must have been that somebody nicked his body. There's got to be some sort of conspiracy. But my fundamental issue with this, I've got many issues with this, but the first one is, how do you account for all the sightings of hundreds of people in different places over 40 days by crowds as big as 500 sometimes of Jesus Christ? If his body's been nicked, how can you account for actually people seeing him? You can't, can you? Because his body would just be hidden somewhere under a bench or under somebody's bed or buried somewhere else. It again just doesn't work out. And we read in the Bible actually after in these sightings, Jesus was eating fish with his mates at the beach. Dead people don't eat fish. He was hanging out. He went to Thomas, he said, look Thomas, look at my wounds. Look at my hands, look at my feet. It's me, it's Jesus. He carried in his resurrection body the wounds of the cross. It was definitely him. You know these wounds in his hands and in his feet, they're not the kind of wounds that you self-harm into place. They're wounds that he carried because he was crucified. He's not a ghost, he has a physical form. And the other thing to think of, what, what would people have to gain by nicking his body? The disciples, the Jews, or the Romans. Actually, none of them. There's no plausible argument that says nicking the body would benefit them in any way, shape, or form. And then from those two main arguments, it starts to get a little more desperate. And this is my favourite argument, actually, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Is that some speculate that Jesus had an identical twin brother. I'm going to call him Jesus. And that he was just a lookalike. He had a bit of a doppelganger. <laughs> who was then going round uh, Israel afterwards, pretending to be Jesus. He was pretending to be the... Or, he, you know, it was just someone that just had the same beard and the same sandals and looked exactly the same. But if that was the case, if it was just some sort of lookalike, why would Jesus' mum and Jesus' best mates be absolutely gutted when he died? If it was just some lookalike on the cross... You'd think they'd be like, hey, we got away with it. Jesus is alright. This is Jesus. They'd be fine. But his mum watches on. And they're devastated. It's definitely Christ that's on the cross. And it's definitely Christ that's then raised from the dead. Because you look at the disciples, they know they recognise him. Though he carries the wounds and though he's slightly different, they recognise Christ. You'd think they'd spot an imposter. Do you not think? So what's the most likely scenario then? I think it's that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again actually. That's the only thing that actually fits. 
The other arguments just don't work out. But he had to die, and I think the evidence overwhelmingly supports that he does. And one objection that you might come across, or you might even have in your own heart right now as I'm saying this thing, is something called chronological snobbery. So you start saying, well, Jesus probably didn't raise from the dead because they didn't actually know he was dead. They were a bit stupid back then. You know, that's people's actual argument. Oh, they were stupid about them. They didn't have as much intelligence, so therefore they couldn't have known that he was dead. And they couldn't have known it was actually him because they didn't do DNA testing. And they didn't have all this evidence that says it was the same person. They're more gullible 2,000 years ago than we are today. But I want to say this, one of the Gospels is written by a doctor. Doctors generally aren't stupid, are they? They might, you know, give us the wrong diagnosis from time to time. But they're not stupid people. Luke was not a stupid man. He was a clever man and he wrote everything down in detail. But more than that, do you not think people 2,000 years ago would be more aware of the finality of death than we are? We have doctors, we have hospitals, we have medicine, we have all these things to help prolong our life that they didn't have 2,000 years ago. I think they would be well aware, more so than we are, of what death looks like. So I think to say that they're gullible or they didn't know he was really dead is just a bit of a cop-out, actually. Jesus died and Jesus rose again. And that's not all the circumstantially loads of things that I wanted to just quickly think about, too. You know, the disciples, take Peter, for example, before Jesus died, an absolute pansy. He's like, oh, I can't do anything, Jesus. A little servant girl, like, bullies him into kind of, no offence to any servant girls, but, like, this is a man. Come on, Peter. And he's just, oh, I don't know Jesus. I've never met him before. He's, a, he's just, he's not a brave, courageous hero, is he? And actually, to be honest, neither of the others. Thomas is like, oh, I don't believe it. It's a bit like Eeyore, really, isn't it? Nothing ever. And yet afterwards, after the resurrection, you look at someone like Peter. You look at someone like Thomas. They're completely transformed. What is it that's changed them? What is it that has taken them from just zeros to heroes? I don't think it can be anything other than the fact that Jesus is alive. They're loyal to a fault. Now, would you be loyal to a fault to a dead man? Maybe you just move on and say, we had a good innings. We had a good run. Near enough, every disciple, bar one, is executed, killed for their faith. All the apostles, they're murdered because they choose to follow after Christ. Would you give your life for a lie? I'm pretty sure if people were coming for me and they were, they were trying to kill me and it was like, I was living a lie, I'd just go, yeah, all right. I admit it. I've made it all up. Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. But they don't. They give their lives for this. And these people weren't nutters either. They weren't people saying, the end is nigh. Like the people, I was in New York City, uh, no, Washington DC. And there were hundreds of people trying to give me leaflets. And I don't mean just one person trying to give me a leaflet. There was loads of people. Everywhere you look, oh, look, busy Jesus is coming. The Mayans have predicted it. So it's like, oh, get a life, you nutter. It's true. Jesus says so. Um, but these disciples, these are people that love people. They serve the poor. They love the widows. They love the orphans. They give the, these are nice people. These are people you would want to hang out with. They're not crazy. 
They've not just imagined something. It's not a big hallucination. These are genuine, lovely people who love people. They're generous, they're kind. They are people that you would like. They're not far out there with what they're saying. Another thing, and I've got, I've got, you know, I'm trying not to offend half the congregation, but women, women were the ones who discovered the empty tomb. That's not good. Not good then, I mean. A woman's testimony 2,000 years ago was worth nothing. It was worth nothing in that culture. It was all about what the men said. Couldn't have equal rights and equal votes and all this kind of stuff. Their, their voice counted for nothing. So if you were going to make up a story that Jesus rose from the dead, you wouldn't have women discovering the empty tomb, would you? Because you're just shooting yourself in the foot straight away. <laughs> it just makes it, you're like, well, that's unbelievable. How could it have been women? And then finally, and I think this is massive, and we could underplay this one. It's kind of funny. But they changed the day that they worshipped from a Saturday to a Sunday. Now, those of us that have been in the church for a while, how difficult is it to change anything? Let alone changing the day that you worship. I mean, if I was to say, oh, guys, we're worshiping tomorrow now. Don't care that you've got work. We're doing it on Mondays. So change your life around. Be like, what? Can't do that. But they change from the Saturday to the Sunday. Now, you would only do that if you had a really good reason. Because otherwise, you're going to have lots of meetings and lots of pointless arguments. And it's going to be very painful. And it's going to be utterly just almost a waste of time, really. You go round and round in circles. But they had a really good reason. Jesus rose on that day. So that was the day that we choose to worship him. We could say, oh, that's not really an argument. But actually, those of us who have been in churches, those of us that have seen religious institutions, know that that's a huge deal. Changing the day that you worship. So Jesus is raised from the dead. I'm not only convinced by the Bible text, which incidentally, actually, should be more than enough for us. You see, if the Gospels say Jesus rose from the dead, that should be enough for us, shouldn't it? Because it's God's word. We shouldn't have to have all these other things too. Now these other things help us, I think, and just inform us. But the text should be enough. You know, whether there are things, there are probably things in scripture, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say there are things in scripture that some of you will not necessarily like. And whether you like it or not is actually by the by. It's God's word. And it's what God says that actually matters. And so we have to live by it. And that should be the thing that drives us. But obviously there's the support and evidence too, and it just makes sense. And as I said at the start, I'm more convinced now than I was before I started looking at this thing. I can see no other explanation other than that Jesus rose from the dead. But the question uh, on the screen is why, obviously it's important because Jesus isn't dead and he's alive, so our faith is alive. But why is it so important for us today? What difference does it make for me and for you right now? And for that, I just want to return again to John 11. Jesus says, and this is at the time where he's just kind of raised Lazarus from the dead, or he's raising Lazarus from the dead. It says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You see, resurrection there is so closely linked with new life. He doesn't just say, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. That's not an accident. He's not thrown that in as just an added extra. The two go together. Resurrection and life are almost one thing. To have new life is to have a resurrection life. 
And as I said before, it's not revivation. There's a guy in the New Testament called Lazarus um, who was dead. And he was definitely dead. And Jesus raised him from the dead. But Lazarus would one day die again. Lazarus would get old. Lazarus would get grey. Whereas Jesus rose from the dead and he's carried on living. He ascended and actually is reigning now on high. And in John 11, that's what he's kind of saying in advance. I'm the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Which sounds like, actually, it's in conflict with each other, but it's not. He says this, though he die. What he means is, you and I will die. I hope that doesn't come as news source. That actually we're kind of heading towards that every day. That we get older in one sense. We all physically die. And no amount of medical advances are going to save us. They might prolong us. We might live longer. But then Jesus follows it up with, yet shall he live. Which seems to be, well, how, if we're going to die, how can we live? And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And this is the important thing I want you to get about the resurrection. Because Jesus rose again, we can rise again too. And that's the implication. By believing in him. Which means, actually, what Jesus says is, we never die. Yes, we will physically die, but what he's talking about here is spiritual. You know, your body is not actually who you are. And it's countercultural, that, isn't it? Because the culture of the world says, you know, your body is all who you are, and you know, you've got to look like this, and you've got to look like that. You've got to dress like this and dress like that because your body is who you are. It's what everybody sees. But actually, the Bible teaches something different. That who we are is our soul, our heart. So when Jesus says, those who believe in me will never die, our physical bodies will. But our spiritual new life will not. And that's what he's saying in John chapter 11. From the moment you trust in Jesus, you in one sense live eternally. Both in this life and in the next. We are more than our bodies. Our soul lives on with God. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we're born again, we're given this new life through the resurrection. That's what Peter says. When Jesus rose again, he had a new quality of life. He had a resurrection life, a resurrection body. In his defeating of sin, of death and hell, he earned for us a new life too. Now, we don't get this wicked new body right now. I haven't got a six-pack under here. It doesn't happen overnight. I don't give my life to Jesus and then all of a sudden I'm like, just this huge, chunky kind of you know, hero. That doesn't happen. One day, I reckon I'll have a, a body with both knees that work properly. And no grey hair in my beard. And all men will have facial hair. <laughs> Aren't we looking forward to that Simon Cousins? <laughs> He's gone. I don't want to be. I don't want to live eternally. The body will come. But from the moment we trust in Christ, we have a new spirit. A new life that can start right now. Can start today. That's why the Bible uses the term born again. I'm a born-again Christian. My old life has gone. My new life has come. I've been given a second chance. I've been given a fresh start. All my sins, of which there are many, all my things that I do wrong, I've been dealt with by Christ, and I can be given this free new life. All of my wrongdoing is wiped away. 
And instead of that, I'm given this new power. I'm given this aliveness. I'm given this hope that's within my soul. And that's God's Holy Spirit. This is Ephesians 1. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might. This is amazing. That he that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. What Paul says is, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit is the same one that comes into our hearts, comes into our souls, comes into our lives when we trust in Christ. Why are we looking really morbid? The same power, the same power that can raise the dead forever, can raise us forever, can give us eternal life. It's amazing. And actually, it makes us the very people that we were always meant to be. Carl, last week, talked about that we're all sinners. We sin and, uh, because we're sinners. And we fall short. And we all are represented in one sense by Adam, that first man, the kind of pinnacle of humanity, and he fell. And we do too. But then in Romans 5, it says this, for if because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. So death reigned because of Adam. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, the resurrection actually changes everything. It gives you and I a new life. It gives us a new chance. And by faith in Christ, I believe we become the people that we were always created to be. In the garden, when before Adam and Eve fell, it was amazing. And because of sin, we're not going to quite get that in this life, but we can have an aliveness in our soul. We can have that relationship restored with God once again. As God walked in the garden of Adam, God walks with us by his spirit. And it's all brought about because Jesus was raised from the dead. He died, he took our sin, our shame to the grave, and he was victorious over it. So that we're made right in the eyes of God. And this resurrection power that we live and walk in has many facets to it. One is this. That the fact that we are given a new life and we're trusting Christ should mean that we have more and more and more of a victory over sin in our life. We should see a progression. You know, there may be sins. Uh, there'll be sins that some of us here wrongdoings, things that we get wrong when we rebel against God that some of us struggle with, and there'll be patterns of behaviour. But the fact that we have a resurrection life should mean we should be seeing more and more victory over those things. We should be progressing and journeying towards Christ. We should be becoming more holy as we walk with him for longer. The longer we're trusting in Christ, the longer we're walking with him, the more holy and more like Christ we should be. Because we have more and more victory over sin because of uh, God's spirit within us. He gives us the grace to deal with it. And if you are struggling with kind of sin that just keeps, you can't seem to break it, then I actually think we need to pray for you this morning that actually you'd be filled with God's Spirit. And that will be your prayer every day, that actually God will come in power upon you this morning. You'd encounter God. Because I believe it's, it's not just when we read something or we hear something, I believe it's when we encounter God. When we have a moment, when we have an experience with Him that things change. It's in God's presence that things change. It's not in our own presence with our own aura, but it's when we meet with God. That's when the game changes. That's when that resurrection life courses and sears through us. 
But more than that, so it's victory over sin, but there's, there's, a, there's another positive for us that we should be really excited about. Resurrection power is power for the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit living within you empowers you to advance God's kingdom. It was after Jesus' resurrection that he promised his followers this. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, if we want to be God's people, declaring his grace, proclaiming his worth, we need God's spirit, don't we? We need resurrection power in our lives. And we need that resurrection power for multiple things. For telling the gospel, we need God's help. For working miracles, we need God's Holy Spirit. For defeating the devil, we need God's Spirit. For uh, delivering people, for blind eyes being opened, it's God who works the miracles, not us. But he chooses to use us to advance his kingdom. But you think we can do that without God's resurrection life and without res resurrection power? No. So we have to want it. I mean, do we want to be filled with God's Spirit? Excellent. <laughs> this resurrection life sounds amazing. I want to walk in that every single day. Primarily because it means God's presence is with me. Primarily because I'm in relationship and communion with Him. And when we're in that, I mean, it's, it's the, the pattern of Scripture, actually. When we go forward, when we do His work, when we advance the kingdom, when we share the good news... Signs and wonders follow. People say, oh, I've never seen miracles today. Are we preaching the gospel? Because if we're preaching the gospel, we will see signs and wonders. We will see miracles. We will see people saved. That's a miracle. We will see blind eyes open. We will see the captives set free. But it's only when we walk in resurrection power. If we go from church and we think, oh, it's just about turning up on a Sunday and the rest of the week I can do what I want and live like I want, don't be surprised if you don't see God move. Don't be surprised if you don't feel God with you. Don't be surprised if you don't encounter him. Because we're not pleasing him. But if we're walking with him, if we're trusting him, if we're asking for God to be with us, and if every day we're worshipping, blessing him, and proclaiming his good news, you will see amazing things. Not only in your own life, but we will see amazing things in Chesterfield. I think we already are. I think we already are seeing people's lives transformed. I thought we already are seeing people who are just mumbling through life coming alive in Christ. You know, it's not anything magic that we're doing. It's all God's spirit. It's all encountering and trusting in him. You see, resurrection power is what should characterise a Christian. Walking in newness of life should be what characterises us above all other things. It should be that we're not who we used to be. And it's incredibly obvious to the world that there's something different about us. Now, whether you call that being filled with the Spirit, whether you call that being baptised with the Spirit, I'm not going to kind of get into semantics with you. But the point is, I believe it has to happen. I believe there is a moment, an encounter, where we are filled with the Spirit for the first time. And some people say, oh, it's on conversion. I think God's Spirit just come in on conversion. But I think we have moments. I think there's moments of special grace where actually we meet with God in a, an amazing way. And it just opens our eyes to new things. And I believe actually encountering God in a tangible, real way is what changes everything for us. Maybe you're a Christian this morning and you don't actually know what that feels like. Maybe you've walked with God a long time, but when I'm talking about resurrection life, you don't know what that feels like, you don't know what that looks like. 
is only something that you've ever hoped for. Or only something that you've ever kind of joined the dots in scripture. You're just going through the motions of coming up to church on a Sunday or going to a, a connect group, praying in the morning, but nothing feels real. Nothing changes in your soul. You don't feel alive. There's no burning fire or desire in your soul to tell people about Jesus or to do his work. Or if someone's sick to go, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. That should be our default position, by the way. <laughs> in case you're wondering. Maybe you don't know what it means to walk in resurrection power. That kind of Luke 4 stuff. Like Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. You don't know what it's like for the spirit of the Lord to be upon us. For that power to be kind of pumping through our veins. But we'd love to pray for you this morning. Now we can't make up experiences or manipulate. Some churches do that and they kind of go all emotional and they say, that's an emotional experience. Actually, I want you to genuinely meet with God. And so we'll pray for that. And it might not be in this kind of awe-inspiring way where you're knocked to the floor or God speaks in an audible voice to you. It might be a quiet whispering to your soul. It might be that you feel peace for the first time. God manifests himself in so many different ways, so we'd be careful to not put it in a box. But I think it's important that we're asking and we're seeking God, desiring his spirit, so that we can walk in this resurrection power. So that's the first people we want to pray for this morning. And the other people we want to pray for is, maybe this morning you kind of didn't believe in the resurrection, now hopefully it changed your mind. But if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you've been sat on the fence, if you're a bit undecided, if you've been coming to church, if you're that person that's been walking through the motions all your life, that's all right, I go to church. It doesn't count for anything come the final day. What counts is whether we are raised with Christ or not. What counts is whether we've trusted in him or not. And if we believe in him, we live. So if you don't know what it's like to live, if you don't know what it's like to have that aliveness within you, you're probably not a Christian if you've kind of, you know, you've just been coming to church your whole life and you've never repented of your sin, you're probably not a Christian. And that's okay. But we can change that today. And your eternal destiny can be shaped. And there can be that aliveness for the very first time. There can be that, I know that my life, my name is going to be written in the book of life. You see, the resurrection of Christ, if we believe in it or don't believe in it, it's not something we can just shrug our shoulders at. It's something that has eternal consequences for us all. We either believe it and we wholeheartedly trust in him, or we don't. But I'd like to think that the evidence actually is overwhelmingly in favour of the fact that the only explanation is that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again. And if Jesus rose again, then surely that means that everything else that he had to say is true. Because if that was true, and surely everything else is too. When he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's not joking. 